Okay, we're gonna go live. <laughs> this could be a, this could be a total disaster. <laughs> oh, it probably will be. It's it says preparing the live stream, the webinar. Um, <clears throat> so if you go to my page, you should see it in a second. It's still loading. Um, I can't believe we're actually okay. It says we're live. Oh dear, this is scary. Okay, hello. Really, hell is live? Oh no. Yeah. I think Gary. we're live. Oh, okay. Hello. Hello. Oh, this is a little bit behind. Hell is live. Oh no. Yeah, yeah you got to go out of the live. window. It is behind. Oh, it is behind. Okay. So Hello? for those of you who are tuning Hello? in, we're actually recording the Church Boys um, for the first time in like a decade and a half. Would you say, Chris? <laughs> Closer to like you know five months. Five months. Well, it's been a half a year, and a lot of people thought the show was gone. And and so I tried to bully Chris. And we're we're actually having the start of the show yet. So you're gonna see the behind the scenes here. You can see I haven't brushed my hair. Um, you can see Chris is a disaster too, as always. always. And um, but we're going to actually show you behind the scenes, kind of, which is not all that exciting. There's a lot of belching and diet no, coke drinking, and not at all. Exciting. I've got some green tea here. Um, but you're gonna see behind the scenes, and then we'll have a polished episode at some point. <laughs> soon it's polished <laughs> like polishing a turd oh, okay no. so now we can't do, do see we those, get no, we can't see those what? things live on facebook can we well we can you just did well thank you did just say it good thing good thing though this is on your personal <laughs> this is your personal account right this isn't some sort of professional i'm making sure this isn't on like another account like the faith wire account yeah, or something. that would be uh but no i think we're in the clear i think we're okay okay I wonder if Pedro's watching. I'm looking. I'm monitoring the comments. There are some comments. There's two oh, comments really? already. Oh dear. How well, fat. I'm not. All right. So look. Here, here's the deal. I think we just need to start this. Okay. So I'm gonna let me. Ch I'm as we're sitting here live, and I'm testing the audio here. Well, I'm not. How, all right. Here we go. So I can take. I can mute this. How fat yeah, do I look? Please. Good lord. I'm I like know. a beach I'm humongous quail. myself. Okay. Well, let's, um, let's talk about this when we get the show started. Let's go ahead and start this stupid show. <laughs> Okay. This the it, um why well, can I can't find my zoom window. Where's my zoom window? Guys, yeah, and I'm the one with all the tech problems allegedly. <laughs> okay. All right, I see you now. All right, are you That's ready? That's what happened to me. I lost the window. Are you ready? Um okay, allegedly. All right. So this is kind of how things kind of roll. If anybody is out there wondering or even if you're not wondering, this is just kind of how things work. So we'll go ahead and get started here. <laughs> what in the world's going on? My soundboard my sound, no, my soundboard's not working. Just a second. It's funny because I, you, we you tested this. Chris, we tested this before the show. But see, you get to edit the show okay. all the time, and I'm the one getting made fun oh, of for tech problems. You can be sure this will be edited out. Okay, here we go. <laughs> the Church Boys. Show that they 
and they just both entertained and performed and, and well, frankly, helped keep Billy from being lonely every <laughs> night. I'm so sad when I have to take his phone calls and when he tells me about all of the abuse and neglect he received from, from his current co-workers and the various people he went to school with to refuse to associate with him. Anyway, have a good day. Welcome back to the stupidest show on the planet. <laughs> oh, my mother always calling in, Chris. I, I just, uh, I, I, I actually didn't miss that. <laughs> the machine was just jam-packed with messages. There were several from um, your mother. I thought those were the two best because they related to each other. Several. <laughs> Stupid. God, we are so dumb. <laughs> Convenient product. I have an M&M con mug. Convenient I, oh, you, you've got product a placement as here usual. as we do our face. How many? Think, can we get shekels for this? Wait, I, I don't know. Maybe from the M&M store where this came from. I don't know. <laughs> How many Diet Cokes do you drink a day? Can we start there today? Usually just the one or five. Could we also start with, well, are you worried about cancer? Because they say it, no. it's carcinogenous. Are you kidding? No. <laughs> look at me. Uh, well. Do I look like someone who was ever worried about any sort of health issues? <laughs> Well, you could answer that one for yourself, but can you I mean, explain to America why you've been absent, Chris? I've been, a, I've been on the lamb, Billy. The string well, of I mean, the string of bank robberies. You've been refusing to record episodes I know. for for weeks, well, months, not just weeks, months. I can't, I can't stop looking at myself on Facebook. I'm sorry. <laughs> Well, because uh, for those of you who are just listening to this and didn't catch the online shenanigans, we are Facebook living the quote unquote behind the scenes, which is basically just a series of events in which Chris can't get the board to work and where I am annoyed um, <laughs> and then our actual show. But if you're hearing this, you're hearing something that's more polished, probably uh, I would slightly, <laughs> slightly more polished. Um, so. I have a I have a question now. This is a tech, technical question because we've never done this Facebook Live thing before for our show. Right now, every time I talk, the window goes to me. When you talk, the window goes uh, back to you. Is there a way yeah. to have it so that the two windows are, <clears throat> excuse me, online together at the same time, um, simultaneously, as it were? 
Yeah, if you scroll up towards the top, I think there's a gallery view. That's what you're looking for is the gallery view. Just scroll up and when Where? you scroll up, you'll see it pop up. On Facebook or on Zoom? On Zoom. Okay, so I go where? Speaker view? Yeah. Oh, I don't want that. So gallery. Well, I don't view. know, what, Chris. I don't know how to please you here. I don't know what you, what you want. Those are your only options. So, but so now, like now, I'm looking at Facebook, and it's got both of us showing up. Because I changed it. Actually, oh. maybe you don't have control over it. Okay. I changed it. Okay, fine. <laughs> I think I have control. Over it. Look at this hairdo I've got going on. This is yeah. great. <laughs> um, Did you just wake up to record? Because we're no, recording this at whatever I, time it is. It's seven o'clock now. So I was, maybe well, it was nappy here. I actually worked out on a real machine. I removed the clothing. <laughs> That was drying on it, and then I took a shower. So it's... you're seeing a showered me. So you have you have, so your dryer rack also functions as an exercise machine. Stupid, it does. Yes, yeah. it does. Can we talk about Trump? We haven't thought about Trump. I want to just remind everybody listening. I was told over and over again that Trump would never be president. <coughs> I was told that I would owe Chris a steak dinner. Blah 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 blah. Here we are, in the middle of what appears to be a Trump presidency. We're about how many months are we? It feels like 13 years. How many Jeez, months? Can you we? believe what is it? It's well, it's been nine months. A pregnancy. Nine months. That's all we've had here is a pregnancy. Can you believe it has only been nine months? How in the world has it only been nine months? Every day is like a it's like 15 <sighs> years. And I think it's because, you know, first there's Trump and he says Trumpy things. Then there's your the boy. Media and no, he, whoa, 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 whoa. the correct terminology for the president is your boy Trump. Because <laughs> every time I talk to Chris, he says, your boy Trump, your, is boy, doing Trump. This. your boy Trump is doing that. I never loved Trump. I didn't. No, no that is just but an I... absolute lie. And you're this horrible <laughs> Trump defender. That's all the, Not, not horrible. I shouldn't say horrible because there no. are plenty of people who are Trump defenders who are not horrible. You are not one of those people. Well, you're, yes. Well, <laughs> but well, I might be horrible, but I'm not, I'm not. I wasn't a Trump defender. It was just insane to me. I feel like we're on ground talk, Groundhog's Day here because we have the same debate. One of them was going to win. And oh, so people had to choose who they had to choose. So no. I wasn't a defender, but I think I think it was an interesting election. I feel like we're never going to hear the end of it. By the way, I have Trump outside my house. I have a Trump scarecrow. <laughs> so, OK, you sent me a picture of this. Was the Trump scarecrow meant to mock Trump or to praise him? Well, so my wife said, my wife and I were talking and we, we said, neither of us really know. We just were. What happened was my kid wanted to Naturally. make a scarecrow and we have a tick problem in our neighborhood and actually like just a few doors down here. So we decided, like, you know, wait, 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 like easily... you have a, like a verbal tick or a, like a no, no, facial like, tick? like the bug that gives oh, Lyme okay. disease. So we decided, you know, we're not going to stuff it with, with leaves. We'll stuff it with, you know, old rags and towels or whatever, you know, or, or maybe so... another body we found lying around. <laughs> So, so we stuffed the jeans of it, whatever. And then we didn't have a head. So we went to the store. We tried to find like a nice little scarecrow head. And then my wife was like, wait a minute. We have the Hillary and the Donald Trump masks from last year. And so why don't we use one of them? And the clothing was more appropriate for Donald Trump's mask. So it isn't mocking. I mean, listen, not everybody's happy about it. I've gotten some responses from people on Twitter who think that it's horrible. I think it's awesome. What, what 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 are the people saying on Twitter that makes it horrible? And this could be a Twitter-heavy you know, episode, like, by the way. How dare because you... Like, it's not been a good week for me on wait, Twitter. Let's, so how dare you what? Have a scarecrow? A Donald Trump scarecrow. How I, dare you How dare you go to the store and buy a Donald Trump rubber mask? <laughs> wait. Okay, so I'm going to be Trump for Halloween, too, which I'm announcing here. Um, and it happened off the cuff. Again, is it? Is it? I'm not mocking. I'm not praising. I just think I, ha I saw the wig, and I was like, i got to do this. <laughs> 
right. So I got to do it. Okay, just a second. I'm, I am obsessed with this Facebook thing. I continue to watch this as it goes on. We're down to 11 listeners right now, simultaneously. I'd be, I wouldn't be too. I mean, we were up to like 25, and then yeah. we saw our Listen harder, people. Listen harder. Get your <laughs> get back up. There's back up to 11. There we go. Keep ticking it up. Keep nope de- not down up up. If Push you're it up. if you're no, watching you're this on Push Facebook Live, Push it if up. you're watching this on Facebook Live, share it. Share yes, it right now. Right now. Because right now. we have a lot of things to talk about. We go to your lot. spouse's computer and open this on their computer and watch it there. <laughs> There's oh back up a little bit. Come on. You can do it. Stop watching. You'll you drive it. yourself crazy because it's behind you. So those like I can't. It's mesmerizing. I I just clicked off of it. I I have no interest <laughs> right now. But what I will tell you is I'm so sorry. so the grocery delivery man came today. Wait, <laughs> who came? Go ahead. Go who, ahead. No, who go ahead, that, Chris. Who was at your house today? The grocery delivery man. Okay. He, he, he was that before or after uh, Juanita came to clean your house. <laughs> You are going to well. hell. Um, so he came, and the poor guy was, he jumped because he saw Donald Trump sitting in the, ch- in the chair next to the door. Well, you're Mr. Technology. Do you have like one of those ring doorbell things where it kind of films everything that's going on? You recorded him no, jumping. Oh, no, but that's on my wish list. Need I'm going to hopefully get one for Christmas. I would like one of those because I want to know who's at the door. It's usually just the mailman, but I'd like to know. Or the grocery delivery man. I want to know who's there. Or, or the housekeeper. <laughs> How many grocery delivery men do you have? Well, it's just a company. It's the company. So whoever they send. It's Peapod. Everyone the knows help. Peapod. People have Peapod. The, it's not. The help. <laughs> All right. So the bottom line is he the poor guy was scared. He like dropped a bag because he freaked out. He's like, oh my gosh. And then he and then he thought it was hilarious that it was Trump. So I'm But he thought it was a real person. Get egged. He thought it was yeah, a real I mean, person. Yeah, I mean it looks it looks now, why would you outside get, of the mask. Why would you get egged? I mean well, any more I mean, than look, you normally would. Because I think people here don't have a good sense of humor in this part of New York when it comes to politics. So what are they? Like they so they're going to be mad that you have a Donald Trump, or they're going to be mad that you were mocking Donald Trump? I don't. I, they'd be mad that Donald Trump was there, probably. I, it's a trigger for people. Well, wait, imagine, so but, wait a second. So because that looks so much like Donald Trump, people are going to egg your house. Look, it's never happened, but it, nothing would shock me. We thought we lost a pumpkin today. We actually thought somebody stole a pumpkin off of Donald Trump's lap, <laughs> and then you realized you happen. ate it. Listen, I I think people will be more offended by me being Donald Trump for Halloween. Oh yeah, but I'm not praising Donald. I just I think it's hilarious. The costume is hilarious. I even have a flag lapel. Are you gonna wear your sleeves so they come up to here? <laughs> he doesn't have a tailor. The man does not have a tailor. It's amazing. It's to very me. strange. Like he has nice suits, but it always I always think I think your jacket's too big. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, yeah, well, I maybe he's lost too, weight though, so. and. <laughs> His arm shrunk. I don't, I don't know. It's like, really weird. Like, like a T-Rex. Like just little <laughs> um, You know what? Do you know what the worst part about this is? We've, oh, here. Emphysema cough is back. That's from the Diet Coke. It's not from the Diet Coke. It's, it's from, from my... the Diet Coke. It's precancerous. No, it no, definitely sounds no. No, it's post-cancerous. Um, <laughs> I hope not. God forbid. Well, should we actually talk about we were talking about Trump? Should we talk about something of substance with Trump? Well, I don't know why we would start now, but go ahead. <laughs> so, you know, we're in this reality, this alternative reality that you said would never happen, and yet here we are. Um, yes, here we're we are. not talking about President Clinton, we're talking about President Trump. Um, and I feel, the one thing that's exhausting about this is that every day there's a new controversy. 
And half of them are self-inflicted. Maybe, maybe even 70% of them. 70% of them. At least. 80, maybe 80 are self-inflicted entirely. Actually, I would say 80 to 90% are self-inflicted. But, yeah. what, but what follows, and this is actually a message to all of those who hate Trump, because yeah. I think you guys, it's almost like you need somebody to coach you and help you, like a life coach who tries to tell you to stop. Because what you do is you get people like me and everybody else who's rational on your side where you're like, you know what? Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. What Trump said is terrible. This is disgusting. This is horrible. And then, you know, I'm agreeing. I'm saying, yeah, you're right. And then the next thing out of your mouth is he's Hitler. He's going to destroy us. We're all going to die. <laughs> exactly. There's an asteroid headed for him. Exactly. And I'm like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Now I have to actually defend Trump. Like you've actually taken it so yep. far that I feel the need to actually defend him now. So and I think the left is stuck in this really bad rut with that. Yeah. And it's well, it's. They open the, I think it's Limbaugh who always says that you can always rely on the left to open the door into their own noses. If you give them enough time, they're going to eventually, they're going to eventually lose the entire point. They're going to, you watch it happen over and over again. It's like, you have a win here. Why do you keep pushing it further? And they do it frequently. And so I think well, you're, the media I think don't help. The media doesn't, I mean, the media don't no. help either. And it puts it on steroids, right? Because you right. could, and then like this obsession with the, you know, the horrific situation where we have four U.S. soldiers who are dead and you have this widow going back and forth now with Trump. And really, it wasn't the widow going back and forth. It was the Congresswoman Wilson going back God. and forth with Trump. The woman. And it be. Yeah. Wait, what were you going to say? The woman with the cowboy hats, <laughs> the sequin cowboy hats, where she looks like Macho Man Randy Savage. I mean, it's like it's unbelievable. This woman well, is a, this woman is a clown. She is a clown. Does anybody not well, understand that's the this problem, woman? Isn't everybody involved outside of the obviously the family and the widow? Like okay. it, but okay, yes, everybody involved. Everybody involved outside the family and widow, the direct. Family. Listen, I give those folks for the most part a pass, but everybody involved. This is yes, a clown. Yeah. Only one of them dresses like a clown. <laughs> stop. Well, one does have. Well, I'm gonna stop. Uh, I was gonna. <laughs> one does I, have orange I makeup gonna, on. I bought, bron I bought like you an orange bronze. face bronzer <laughs> to be Trump. So I was going to talk about that, but I'm gonna stop myself because but, I I have been the vic I've actually been an online a victim of online bullying. We could talk about that in a minute. Yes, we'll get to um, that next. Which I don't care, but it was anyway. It, it has to do with Trump, but but this whole thing, you know, with Wilson. Here's the thing. Trump started this with his ridiculous, I'm better than every president yeah. and I've consoled people more than any other president yeah. has. Um, because, he's, look, because he's, he, listen, whoever's in charge is in charge. You know, we believe the biblical idea of God puts person in charge. They're not, they're not there without God saying it's okay for them to be there, whatever. The, okay, but that doesn't make what he's doing not foolish. Right. right? And it's he silliness. just does foolish things all the time. He just it's he's got a habit that his that is his that is his default position is to do foolish things. And so he's <laughs> so he can't help himself. So he gets asked a question about writing letters to people who were killed. They ask, Well, have you written letters that you can talk to the families of the people who were killed in Niger? Why is the question, have you talked to the families who had uh, you know, soldiers killed in Niger? Why is that the question and not why were we in Niger? Right. That should have right, been the right. first question, not did you write letters? And of course Trump has to say well, I've written letters to everyone, right? Of course, that's my, my, my Trump accent. But, but then he takes it further. And yeah. like, nobody else has done it. Nobody like, else. I'm so scary talented. It's it's Trump 101, right? This is what Trump has done on The Apprentice. Right, because he's, he's the best and the done. greatest, and he's fabulous, right. and you're going to get tired of winning. But where, So he's wrong for that. Now, 
Now, Re now, Rep. Wilson is not wrong to say because there was a lot of criticism. I sent a tweet out, and it became a Twitter moment because Twitter apparently wanted to terrorize me, and they put this this tweet that I sent in their little moment thing, and I was like barraged with comments. I said I wanted both sides to stop. That this was disgusting. It was horrible. The the way that the way that the back and forth was going. Yep. She's not. It wasn't wrong to call for answers. Why we were there. What we were doing there. What happened to him. That's all appropriate. And right, I think that investigations. That wasn't her move. Her move. Her money no. move. Her money move was saying, he said he was a terrible. It was a terrible phone call with the with the widow and. He's a sick the man. Family, he's a sick man. He didn't remember the guy's name. Now listen. If the widow says he doesn't remember the name, listen again. I give people in those situations for the most part a pass as far as their remembrance and their emotion. It is an emotional time. I am sure I thank God I've not had to go through that. I've not had to have a, a family member of my own die in battle. But I tell you, these people are using her and using that family. And that's what's sick. And that's what's scary. Okay. Well, all he has to do too, and this is the problem with Trump. And, and we did a piece over at Faith Wire a while back in op-ed about how he lacks you know, humility, and that's the biggest problem with Trump. That yep. should make every Christian do a double take. Not, I'm not saying slam him. Every time I'm critical of Trump, people f freak out. I'm in like right. this middle ground where everyone kind of hates me because I'm like, well, no, like it, this is a real problem. He just needs to say, that is not what I said. That is not what I intended. But if my delivery of that hurt your feelings and it, you didn't receive that, well, I'm really sorry that you yep. came away feeling that way. It's all he has to do. Yeah. It's, it's pretty it's, simple. It's super easy. In fact, we were talking about this in church the other day. It's never wrong to say you're sorry. <laughs> Just right. say, listen, I, I'm sorry that that, that, that happened, and, and I certainly wouldn't have meant to hurt your feelings, and I, and I apologize for that. You know, I, my, my intention was to say this to, your, to you and to your family, and it didn't come out right, or, or the way I said it was I could, have, I could have been more artful. Just own it and be done with it. Yeah. But the fact is, think, but the fact yeah. is, even if he, even if he did that, <clears throat> they're still not going to be charitable. It's not going to assume the best. But the fact is, when you heard what he allegedly said about, you know, he knew what he was getting into. My my first reaction was not, oh, that was a terrible, horrible thing to say. My first reaction was, I think I know what he means, and that is, this guy's brave. He knows what he signed up for, and he was willing to do it. This is a volunteer force. These guys are elites. These guys are doing their thing. It is a dangerous job, and he knows it, and he died doing what he signed up to do, and he's proud of it, period. You know, right, and let's not forget. Now, the accounts that I've read, correct me if I'm wrong, in the car, Wilson was apparently outraged in the car, and she wanted the phone um, from the sergeant who had the phone. Whoever whoever was in that car, Neil, it was the last name. Yeah, she allegedly that, wanted um, to talk to the president. Right, and he would, in. now he or she would not Which is smart. let. But what's interesting, I tried to find that because <laughs> that person has not spoken out. We have not heard from everybody in right. the car, and I and I think it would be interesting to hear. Well, yeah, but if, if it's they, but if it's some sort of military attaché or some sort of military escort, they're not going to speak out. That's not their job. They're not no. supposed and, to. Well, they did they exactly what they're supposed to do. I would love to, to know off and the, the record. Well, and the yeah, and the fact is, this isn't a call that they didn't know they were getting. Right, the president just doesn't just pick up the phone and then dial and say, "Let's talk to the to the family." Right, they set up the phone call. There, there is some sort of protocol. I don't know if it's a five-minute lead time or a one-day lead time or a half hour. I don't have any clue. But doesn't he doesn't just pick up the phone and strike, call straight to the family. So they knew the phone call was coming. They put it on speakerphone, and she listened. And, again, if you're the family, you whoever wants to listen, listen. I don't care. But, it, but yeah, they, it, they have to understand this woman, this Frederick Wilson, is using them. 
and the Democratic Party is using them, and a lot of the anti-Trump crowd who's not or aren't Democrats are using them to further this agenda to make Trump look bad. The only thing that Trump this, looks yeah. bad is in his is his ridiculous defense of himself. Right? He wasn't. Right. I don't As think always. he said anything. I As bet he didn't always. say anything wrong in his phone call. I don't think that his summary when he talked about what he said to them. I don't think that he was wrong. I think it's his his his. his his insatiable appetite to defend himself and prove himself right on every single point. And it's the same reason yeah. we have these fights on Facebook and on Twitter, the things that you've experienced. It's because we have to prove that we're right rather than just say, you know what? I blew it on that one. You know what? I'm sorry. Let's We, we can disagree. And, you know, I'm not going to change your mind. And let's just move on. We can't do it anymore. Well, no. And, and it's a huge problem so you know this twitter moment you know when you click that little twitter moment thing and you go through the story i had tweeted like i said that both sides of this and of course i use the words both sides so you can imagine the things that were brought up yeah, when i course. said both sides um both sides of this needed to stop and i stand by that i think both sides were not helping the way that their tone was all that's all i said that both they both needed to stop it was disgusting it was unwarranted it was terrible now everybody read into that 140 characters apparently to assume that I was somehow slamming Rep Wilson for asking real questions, which again, I think is totally appropriate about what happened, yep. uh, that there were a lot of things in this exchange and it was not just a few messages. I mean, this went on for 24 hours of being yep. barraged by people. You're funny looking, which is fine. Cause it's true. Um, you're, <laughs> you're goofy looking. That's this well, one guy. Okay, yes. Okay. Um, I, I can live with that, but you well, know, you, you have lived with it. How old are you? 34 You've so I've been, for, I've been 34 years for 34 you years. have you, you know this uh, um but what was hard to take was sort of the you know basically the attacks on my race which i found very weird that you know because i had tweeted that of course this is a typical white person here's what they would say and to me that was really shocking because i haven't had that happen very often to me and yeah. it was again not one or two messages it was throughout the entire day uh, and some other really disparaging and nasty things, which again, I'm not a snowflake. I can handle it, but I found it disturbing the level of it. So you're a typical, typical white person for criticizing a crazy representative who was, who dresses like a lunatic and was, is abusing the emotional trauma of a family. She happens to be black. And so you're racist for that. Is that what exactly? But I was criticizing them do? both. That's what made me crazy. I was like, <laughs> this is a critique of both of them. Well, you're also anti-orange, so there's that. People, people made very valid, you know, critiques about whether they thought he was worse and why, and you know, but there was a ton of that. And and when I would try to engage that and say, why are you bringing my race up? The the response to that was, of course, I just stopped because this is just not. I mean, I can't imagine in any world that I would ever think something like that, mm -hmm. let alone say something like that to somebody. And that, but that's how fractured we are. That's really my big takeaway was we are this, we are so fractured that there are that many people who will just, not just on that, but on every issue, go after you and your character. And you know, it's strange. It was really it is, strange. It's really, we are, we are, a, we are a sick people right now and for a whole lot of reasons, but yeah, you see it all the time. And I, there were I was watching your timeline, as you know, your Twitter feed timeline thing and there were several times where i wanted to jump in and you know thank god i you know held <laughs> held back because there are some people every once in a while you kind of think there's some people who just need a beating whether it's verbal oh, yeah. or physical right but it's, then you go you know what i'm not i'm not the person to deliver that i 
there was a lot of there was a lot that I wanted to say. There were a couple things that I started typing and then deleted because I said, you know, I don't want this to come. I wasn't angry or mad back. I was yeah. more disturbed. I was yeah. more like, wow, this is. First of all, please delete my moment Twitter. That's like I'm thinking, <laughs> why is this continuing? But I couldn't believe that people read that far into 104. Like they were assuming right. things that I was not saying. And you know, I do think. It would have been, I guess it would have been warranted maybe some of it had I just critiqued her sequenced hats or something, which I didn't, or his orange complexion, which I didn't. Um, I just, to me, this is sad, and I think we're going to see more of this. I don't think this is anywhere near over, and I actually believe that social media is probably tearing us apart more than it is uniting us in any way, oh, and yeah. I've and, come to believe that more and more. Right, well, and we... And we you cannot have a substantive disagreement with somebody without being accused of being a hater of some kind or just being accused of being stupid, right? Because they have to they have to prove that they're right, the people who disagree with you, or they have to just prove that you're a bad person. And it's much easier to just call you a bad person and move on than it is to actually have a legitimate argument and discussion with you. They don't, people don't want to engage in that. They don't want to debate, have actual debates. They just rather this as a but I, and I also think it's really lazy and disgusting that if somebody isn't being a racist or isn't being a bigot or isn't being whatever label you want to throw on them, that you use it because it's yeah. a very lazy way to try to shut oh, yeah. people down and to not have that discussion. And so I think we've got to because everything's so over the top, we just want to like lash out at each other and call each other these names. But it's really damaging, not emotionally, but to like the I mean, maybe for some people, but to the actual discussion and the reality of what's going on, the yeah. ability to talk about it. Yep. All right. So we have a, an interview coming up, right? Pretty soon. Should we take a break? We'll come back. You can introduce the interview and, and we'll do that. Yeah. All right. So yeah, let's do that. So here's this rumor, the stick, this is the ooey, the gooey middle goodness. There's that you, nothing gooey about it. <laughs> <laughs> There's a little bit gooey about it. There might right. be. We will be right back. All right, so next up, we'll pull up your, uh, you've got your interview. You'll send it to yeah. me, right? Okay. Yep. So we'll just explain. Folks, as you watch this, we're going to explain what it is we do here. All right? We are back in three. Oh, let me turn the, app, the uh, soundboard up. We are back in three, two, one. Back to the church boys. All right, we be back. Um, so... What we're going to do now is we're going to, and if you've never seen us do this on Facebook, we usually, most of the time when we do our interviews, we've recorded them shortly before we um, put them into the show. Uh, sometimes we record them live, but usually we pre-record them and, and plug them in. So that's what we're going to do now. So Billy's going to introduce this interview that we're going to, um, we're going to run <clears throat> and then we will take a break and then we will be right back. So this is this was an interesting story because it was pitched to me by a publicist for the the publisher of this book. And the book is called Convicted. And it's about this crooked cop and this innocent guy. And the crooked cop essentially puts the innocent guy behind bars um, because he just doesn't really do his job. He doesn't really he, he kind of it, it's almost like a setup, um, but it's more sort of laziness. And this guy goes to jail, this innocent guy. And the cop ends up getting in trouble and going to jail. This is a true story. And what's crazy is the two of them, their paths cross once they're released. And now this cop is no longer a cop. He's been to jail, too. And they they strike up this friendship, even though the innocent guy is so angry about what had happened to him. Um, and now they travel around. They speak together. They have this crazy story of reconciliation. And they've written a book. Again, it's called Convicted. It's Jamil McGee and Andrew Collins. Roll it. 
It's Billy Hollowell here, and I'm excited today to have two guys on the line here, Andrew Collins and Jamil McGee, authors of Convicted, A Crooked Cop, An Innocent Man, and An Unlikely Journey of Forgiveness and Friendship. How are you guys doing today? Doing good, Billy. Thanks for having us. So I got to tell you guys, I mean, this, your story is incredible, and you know, the details from what I have seen are amazing for a lot of reasons. I think culturally right now in this country in particular, there's just so much debate, so much divisiveness, there's so much anger. um, And there's about 10 different places in which I think your story and your friendship would be helpful to people. Um, And so I'm happy to be talking with you. And I guess to dive into the story, because some of the details are a little bit complicated. Andrew, we'll start with you. Um, you were a police officer in, in Benton Harbor. So if you could just take me through, how long were you a cop and what was sort of your motivation for getting into that field? Yeah, that's a great question. I, uh, I started police work because I grew up in a house of domestic violence. I, uh, uh, it, it wasn't that uncommon for most weekends to be filled with fighting and arguing and one weekend a police officer got called and he brought peace to my home and it wasn't because he was aggressive or mean he was just and uh from that point on i was probably i don't know five six years old i decided i want to be a police officer so i got into the, the profession with very honorable reasons and uh i started working down here in benton harbor michigan in 2003 and what started as a really promising career, I climbed the ranks quickly. I was a very aggressive officer. I, I liked to work. I liked the thought of bringing peace to people, to ridding the street of drug dealers. Um, but in my um, in my aggression, ended up becoming uh, a lack of integrity. And what started as Uh, small integrity issues, which I would have called, back then I would have called them bending the law, uh, (laughs) creative articulation, um, and whereas now I just look back and I say, man, you were breaking the law, you were being corrupt. And what started as small in my mind ended up being full-blown corruption by the end of my career in 2008. What... Why do you think that happened? You know, why do you think, because I think that, you know, we live in this and, you know, I don't want to get you in trouble, but we live in sort of the, there are a lot of claims about police officers, right? That all seem sort of unfair and, and there's sweeping things that people say about cops and, you know, people say sweeping things about lots of groups of people that are unfair and that aren't accurate. You know, do you think, and I want to talk about your story in particular, but was this a problem you saw with a lot of cops? Um, so let's start there. But then secondarily, how did it end up happening for you? Because I think those are, and those are two big questions, but I'll just sort of throw them out to you. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, systemically we've got some issues in our country. Uh, we, are, we are designed with a criminal justice system uh, to where people can be convicted and sentenced on uh, the only evidence being the witness of a police officer. And that creates a little bit of an issue if that police officer has a personal vendetta against the individual. Uh, there was many cases where I had been chasing guys around for so long and they were just one step ahead of me that once I finally got to the place where I kind of got them, but I didn't have quite enough evidence to make it you know, open and shut, I would just bridge the gap and make sure the report read in a way uh, that would make sure that would, that would, uh, that, that we'd make sure we'd get a conviction. And that was also um, driven, you know, from the 
prosecutor's office, it was very evident that they were proud in their 90-something percent conviction rate that, uh, you know, I'd sit in on conversations between the prosecutors, the defense attorney, and the judge about how are we going to get this guy to plead guilty? Stop wasting our time. And, um, and, and that systemically is a problem. Now, all of that said, I say that not trying to excuse my actions at all. There is no way that any of that stuff made it okay for me to do what I did. But I did see corruption, um, you know, from the state level, from the federal level, FBI, DEA, and all of that is documented in convicted. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's the and that's the thing. So I, I think it, it's. I mean, we could do ten podcasts probably on some of those issues because I, I think they're really interesting issues. Uh, but I want to talk, you know, now a little more about the how you two sort of cross paths. And so, uh, Jamil, how did how did you two first cross paths? You know, what was the first interaction? Um, and just take me through some of that. How this all came to be. Um, okay, I. Uh... It was, um, I got, I was at home one morning, I was, um, my, my child mom was on her way um, to bring him to me, and I leave, I catch a ride from my friend, my cousin's friends that's at the house, and I leave from there, and I go to the store, and um, to get some Zoom Zooms and some goodies for, so I won't have to leave, <laughs> and, um, Coming out of the store, Andrew was approaching me, um, talking about he's a cop and where's the dope. And uh, I'm like, what dope? I don't have any dope. And from that point on, uh, I was being arrested and and carted away to jail. What were you thinking in those moments? Because, I mean, you're you're going to the store, you're going to get something, suddenly a cop's coming up to you and saying, you know, where's the dope? And you're, I mean, what's going through your head? So much. <laughs> I'm angry, frustrated. Um, but when it first was happening, I was just trying to get home still. You know, that was my thoughts, was just, just need to hurry up so I can get home. I know she and were you I mean so so after the arrest what were some of the events that followed just sort of take me through the timeline um, and, and how you ended up I mean you ended up in jail for four years correct me if I'm wrong I mean so just take me through that timeline yeah that um, that time I was whew, it was horrific um, you know sitting um in jail, uh, awaiting, uh, well, I got sentenced to uh, 10 years federal prison. And in going through that, uh, those changes of uh, being, uh, um, going, well, not being, but going through trials and all that stuff was, man, it was, it was hectic. Um, as you would read in, in this book, um, Convicted, man, it is, it was a rough transition um, for me. What's it like? Um, because I think, you know, people have arguments. They get caught in the middle of things and they're accused of things they haven't done. And, and sometimes it's, you know, even when it's a light thing that you're being accused of, it's very frustrating when you know you didn't do something. What's it like to go through trials, go be convicted, go to jail for something that you didn't do? Yeah, 
it's hurtful. I can say that. It's hurtful. Because it can cause, and, and well, actually better, it's harmful because you can, you can cause, you can cause harm to yourself because of um, the situation because you can't control it or can't fix it and, and nothing seems right. Um, so in that, I, uh, I was just literally like going crazy. Yeah. Um, in there because it was it was something I couldn't understand like how is this this happening you know and like it, this shouldn't be happening and as so as this is happening now now Andrew I I, I would imagine did you just sort of put this behind you take me through yeah. actually let's backtrack here when you went up to him for the first time and you said where's the dope take take me through the motivation for that what was going on there um, and, and what was sort of happening behind the scenes and in your head and your mind? Yeah, earlier in that day, I caught a guy with some crack cocaine, and uh, he said that he would call somebody else and get some more. And in exchange for that information, he would be released. Uh, pretty common practice in narcotics investigations. So uh, he ends up making a phone call. Jamel has no clue that the phone call is happening, you know, in the house that he's in with the friend that he's about to catch a ride with. It's actually his cousin's friend. He doesn't even really know the guy. So he ends up jumping in a vehicle with a guy, you know, just wanting to go get some, some stuff from the store, not knowing that I had just set up a drug deal. So there was an ounce of crack cocaine in the vehicle. And when I, when I got to the store, uh, I knew that the guy who was in the vehicle wasn't my guy that I was targeting because he had some, uh, disabilities and the guy that I was looking for didn't have any disabilities. So then when Jamel came out of the store and started walking towards the vehicle, I just assumed he was my guy. Uh, so I approached him uh, with that assumption, guilty until proven innocent. And uh, by the end of the day, he was lodged at the county jail under the name who I thought he was under my target's name because Jamel was so angry at me. He wouldn't talk to me. He wouldn't tell me who was, what his name was. Rightfully so, because he didn't do anything wrong, and, and now he's got handcuffs on, he's going over to the county jail. So by the end of the day, he's lodged under somebody else's name uh, for, for a crime he didn't commit. Wow. And, and so, now, how long did it take for you to realize that he wasn't your guy? Yeah, uh, so without getting, you know, getting too far into the uh, details of the book, a couple of days later, uh, a federal agent brought it to my attention. And uh, through some very uh, corrupt follow-up, I just simply changed the name from the first name to Jamel's name. Uh, so you can imagine Jamel sitting in jail, you know, thinking, well, this will get cleared up soon enough. I'm not this person. And then a couple of days later, getting a supplemental report saying, oh, never mind. It wasn't that guy. It was actually this guy. So when he went to jail, I don't want to give away the whole book, right? <laughs> because I'm I'm fascinated by the story, and I want people to make sure they pick up a copy, and we're going to link out to it. And um, again, the book is convicted. Uh, but you know, when he went to jail, you were you fully aware, one hundred percent, that he a guy was going away who didn't do anything. No, I was convinced in my heart that he was guilty, and that it was my job to bridge the gap between the truth. And um, what I actually saw. So I didn't write the report from the report to make sure I got a conviction because I was convinced Jamal was guilty. It wasn't until we met up years later 
and we had some follow-up conversation, I went down to the department and purchased the report through the Freedom of Information Act because I had to reconcile some of this stuff within me. And I read the first paragraph of the report and I broke down and I called my mom and I said, I, I put an innocent man, completely innocent man in prison. And um, so, yeah. Um, so take me through the end of your career now. Um, I, you know, take me through how that happened, um, the issues that you faced and what led you out of being a cop. Yeah, so um, Jamel and I met February of 06, and then February 2008, I got caught with crack heroin and marijuana in my office. And uh, I would say that that chapter in the book for me is the hardest one to read um, because there was so many choices I could have made that day, and, and even before that, um, that I look back and I just say how stupid I was in what I did when I got caught. Uh, so my life crumbled. I got caught on a Tuesday, thought about killing myself on Wednesday, and then my wife came home and saw the desperation and uh, said, you need to go talk to a pastor, because I'd been dabbling with church as an adult, but every time I'd go, the guy'd be talking about something I was doing wrong, so I'd stay away for a while. So I called him up, and I said, I need to talk to you, and he invited me into his office on day three uh, after getting caught, and I just poured out my guts to him, and there was there's power in confession. And the more I confessed about my wrongdoings and the more I got it outside of myself, the more I started feeling hope that there might be uh, some positive that can come from this. So he walked me through just the idea of the difference between lordship and saviorship with Jesus. And I had trusted Jesus as my savior for years and years and years, but never trusted him to be the Lord of my life. So from that point on, you know, February 20th, 2008, you know, I've been walking out this life chasing Jesus. And um, one of those uh, things that I needed to walk through was the consequences for this. So I went to the FBI and said, you know, I want to tell you the truth about what I did. Uh, they had, um, you know, had, by that time they had eight months to investigate. And the best they came up with is I was selling drugs and I had some offshore bank accounts. And so I was glad I stepped in when I did because they, they were on the right path. And I just owned up to everything. And we sat down with a stack of papers of all the reports I had been in. Uh, with drugs, and we just worked through them. And one of those cases was Jamel McGee, and you know, I told them it was a lie, and they they overturned his conviction. So now, now take me through. Obviously, you leave the force; you're not a cop anymore. How do you two uh, come back together? And either of you can can answer this, but but how how do you guys then find each other again? Yeah, so I'll start that, and then uh, I love. Uh, how Jamel is able to parallel this. Um, but I get out in 2010. Jamel got out in 2009. Uh, I get out in 2010. Then 2011, I felt like God was calling me back to the Benton Harbor area to be reconciled with people. So I was in Broadway Park, which is on the south side of Benton Harbor, kind of a rough spot. And there was an outreach event with our church. And uh, as I'm standing there, I see this man uh, barreling at me. I mean, he, was, he wasn't running, but he was power walking. And he had this look on his face uh, that was in action. Um, so he stuck out his hand. He said, you remember me? And in that moment, I remembered his name. And I said, Jamel McGee. And he squeezed onto my hand extremely tightly. And uh, I hoped that day that I was going to walk away from there with a reconciled relationship with him, with what I said next. And as you read in the book, that wasn't meant to be. And that day did not end um, the way that I wanted it to, uh, Jamel, uh, what was that like 
the day in the park when you saw me. Yeah. And what were you thinking as you're barreling towards him? What what was going through your mind? It was rough. <laughs> I had just came home, so I had just got to meet with my son. And when I was walking towards him, the first thing uh, was coming to my mind was get him. Now, <laughs> this is the chance that uh, all the stuff that I was feeling in prison now this is my first time seeing him. Uh, now I can act on it, you know. But when I grabbed his hand and uh, and was squeezing, God was clearly like, "Man, what are you doing here? We need to let this go." And um, also, my son. You know, I looked down at my son, and this is realizing like this is the thing that I I didn't want to happen. That. This is what I was shunning away from. Like, I didn't want um, to be teaching or for my son to idolize um, this type of behavior. You know, I, I wanted something different. And here I is, here I am about to show him firsthand um, the things I'm trying to avoid him um, becoming a part of. Yeah, I mean that that is um a lot of self-restraint, you know. <laughs> Not a lot of people could do that too. And I I think when anger over you know, when anger overtakes you and when you've been in prison for 4 years and you know you didn't do something and you've been accused of it and the person responsible for that is in front of you, um it takes a lot to hold yourself back, I think. And you know, I so I guess, and, I, and again, we don't want to give away the whole book here, but I, I just love this story. The two of you were talking now. You've written a book together. You speak together, um, and you and you share a message of of forgiveness. I would imagine. How how do you guys get to a place? How did you get to a place where you were able to forgive? Jamel, where you were able to forgive and you guys were able to be friends? Because it seems almost insane and impossible to me that that could happen. No, it's 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 possible. We just need more of it, um, and it's easy. Uh, it's, it's it's I'm gonna say it ain't that easy, but it's easy. You gotta want it, and um, in doing so, you gotta be ready to take those necessary steps um, to get there. And this, you gotta just let go of that that vengeful um, spirit, that vengeful mindset. Um, had I did that to Andrew or tried to retaliate on Andrew, um, the story wouldn't be possible. Forgiveness wouldn't be possible. So when you when you let that situation go, something that I couldn't control, because I can control his brain to tell him, no, don't do that, um, I had to let it go. And, and we need to come into those uncomfortable spaces and, and walk through them and see what it's like. Because um, now us getting to know each other, um, forming the bond and friendship um, will happen more and more if other people adapt this type of mindset. And it's just, you got to you gotta know why. You got to figure out why. Just You got to get into, you got to do life with that person, basically. Yeah. Um, to, uh, and it will it it will work itself out. Everything you want to know, every all the problems, the issues um, in the past, and then questions of arising issues 
um, you will be able to combat those because now uh, a person that once did that to you or you did it to them, y'all now can talk about uh, those very issues and, and still move forward and help others uh, not come to the alternative terms of actually committing um, the act. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think it's it's so important. I mean, so many of us, if we just took a step back and tried to prevent ourselves from making the mistake, but that's the hard part, right? Um, that would be great. But if we could at least take a step back and try to understand other people's perspectives and take a moment to give grace to people, even when we're really hurt. I mean, what happened to you is is a horrible thing. I mean, it, it, and it, it really is. It's amazing that the two of you can come together the way that you have. So let me ask you, Andrew, what is the big thing that you're hoping people take away from Convicted after they read the book? Yeah, I, I think it, the, there's a, a couple different takeaways. Uh, one, we've noticed when we go travel and speak places, that Jamel will have people approach him afterwards that say, I've, I'm so hurt by this person and I hear this story and it's challenging me to forgive them. How do I do it? And then I get people that come up to me. They're like, man, I've, I've really messed up. I've done some bad things. I've, I've been an awful person, but you were so much worse than me. <laughs> and, uh, and then at first that used to hurt a little bit, but I understand now what they're saying is my vulnerability and honesty gave them permission to be vulnerable and honest as well. And at the core of an offender, there is a want to be reconciled. And in, you know, that day in the park, I wanted so badly to be reconciled with Jamel, uh, but it wasn't meant to be. He, he, he wasn't ready for it that day. But I couldn't do his part for him. I could only do my part. My part was just to apologize profusely for how I had wronged him. So I hope that that from an individual level, that relationships will be healed. We've had married couples come to us and, and just in a very powerful moment after our speaking engagements, you know, confessions of adultery and and the beginning steps of reconciliation are right in front of us. And we have to then defer to, you know, the local congregation that can surround them because, you know, we're, we're on to the next stop after that. But we've seen the power of what God does with the story. And that's what I think we both hope is uh, that individuals will be reconciled, but also that we can step onto a national platform and say, if this white police officer, like very white, I'm pasty white, and, and this African-American innocent man, who have the story, if they can get past this and it's not a polarizing situation, how can we translate this onto a national platform? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, <clears throat> the last question I was just going to ask you both is in light of that, when you see, when both of you see what's happening around this country between cops and the African-American community, um, you know, what are, and here I'm putting you in a position of trying to solve the world's problems, but what are some things that could practically be done in the immediate to help ease these unfortunate tensions? Yeah, uh, as an ex-police officer, uh, I don't know if people have heard the term, you know, the blue curtain, you know, that, that uh, cops will um, look out for one another, will look the other way if there's an indiscretion, if there's something going wrong, they'll have each other's back regardless of how far the officer pushes it. And uh, that needs to stop from within. Systemically, that is an issue. That needs to change. 
And uh, I think um, white folks have a responsibility right now to own the fact that there is a such thing as white privilege. Jamel and I uh, had a, a parallel uh, just in the last couple of weeks where Jamel was pulled over and he'll share a little bit more with you on that. Uh, you know, he was pulled over. This is, this is 11 years after my case with him. We, we should have taken so many steps in the right direction. Yet a police officer pulls up next to him, asks him to roll his window down and tells him he can smell marijuana coming from his vehicle. And by the end of that situation, Jamel is in the back of a squad car with handcuffs on being accused of something he didn't do again. And by the absolute end of the situation the officers find a copy of our book in his trunk and all of a sudden jamel is let out of handcuffs the tow truck is turned around and jamel walked away with no ticket because he had done nothing wrong there was nothing to ticket him for no arrest yet he had his freedoms temporarily restricted because an officer chose to show yet two weeks later i get pulled over because i was speeding uh, and by the end of that conversation, I got my ticket. The officer uh, told me how to take care of it. He answered any question I had. He was very pleasant with me. And I shook his hand and, and told him I was sorry for what I had done. And then I paid my ticket. Never once was I worried about the car. Never once was I worried about my daughter having a bad interaction with police officers. And as I pulled away, it dawned on me that that is white privilege that I don't have to worry about those things when I get pulled over and that there's an inerrant distrust and tension when an African-American gets pulled over and we need to come to a better solution. Well, listen, this, and I don't know, is there anything else that uh, you guys want to add that maybe we haven't talked about? Because I think this has been an amazing conversation and I want to make sure we point people towards the book to get the full story because I think we've scratched the surface of this incredible, you know, friendship that the two of you have. Yeah, I would add that, you know, I read one time that it would take, uh, it would take a movie producer 16 hours. The film would have to be 16 hours to capture all that a book has. So I would just encourage people, grab this book. It's a fast read. One chapter is written from my point of view. One chapter is written from Jamel's point of view. So you hear both of our voices. And uh, we just hope you'll be touched. Thank you guys so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And thank you, man. All right. What are you doing when we come back? Um, good without God? Sure. All right. We are back in three, two, one. And now, back to the church boys. They're a real pain in my Go ahead, professional. <laughs> Sorry, I was <laughs> I was uploading a file, and I wasn't paying attention. I Was I supposed to come back? I, were you pointing at me? I wasn't yeah, paying I, well, attention. That's, that's okay. Um, well, so, so there's another story here um that i want to talk about and it doesn't involve sequenced hats it's much more oh. exciting than that it actually involves uh, this question of you know can you be good without god right and this is the atheist love atheist activists love to talk about this you know you're good without god and da, da 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 and we hear it all the time but but now we actually have research and this is earlier this month the pew research center put out a poll showing that for the first time 
I think ever, at least in polling history, Pew polling history, more than half of the country now believes that it's not necessary to believe in God, to be a moral person or to have good values. So 56% of the country now says you don't need to believe in God to have that level of morality or good values. So it's an interesting statistic. And I've had some friends, even Christians say to me, well, yeah, I agree with that. You don't have to be, you know, uh, you believe in God to do good and have good values. But there was a debate on Fox News, on a Fox News online show uh, called Spirited Debate between Shane Eidelman. And he's a pastor who kind of gets fiery sometimes. Yeah. Is, he related I like to, him. is he related to Kyle? I don't know. It's a good question, actually. I have no idea. Uh, we've had Kyle on this show. Yeah, though, I'm a before. big fan of Kyle. I love him. Um, but Eidelman's out in California. And then this other pastor, um, Stan Mitchell from Grace Point Church in Franklin, Tennessee. Now, Stan Mitchell's a progressive pastor, and Shane Eidelman is a, conserv- a more conservative theological guy. Now, the two of them debate this, and it's fascinating. And I guess before we get into their debate, what do you think, Chris? Do you, you know, need God to be good? Um, yes. Now, here's here's where, I'm, where I can differentiate. You need God to be good. You need God to be moral. You do not need God to act good and act moral. Is that fair? That's, no, I, I, I that's think kind it of is. My, that's kind of my stance. I think there are a lot of people. I think there are a lot of people who act like Christians more than a lot of people who are, call themselves Christians act like Christians. And I think that's yeah. So, and but when it gets down to the heart of it, right? Like being good, and and none of us are naturally good. Obviously, right. we were right. born with right. proclivity right. for sin and all this other stuff, but. But, um, you know, being good means trying to truly being good, trying to go for the standards that God has for us because God is good. He's the definition of goodness. So, yeah, I think there's this fine line. You can be you can do moral and good things. Right. Um, but, yeah, there's a huge difference there. And I know that will offend some people. It's not I'll like you're it. saying they're all bad people. It's just be, you have to embrace God's goodness, right. I think. To, for example, you and I, you and I have been made good, right, by by Christ, but the people like, let's say, let me come up with an example, say, um, John Seidel, uh, perhaps, <laughs> and I only say that because I thought I saw that he's listening. So if he's listening, I don't know if he's listening or not. <laughs> he was, so I don't know. Uh, he's definitely tuned out now. Yep. Well, good riddance, I say. <laughs> oh, wait. Nope. Okay. Cortez is offended. Pedro is Cortez. Pedro. I miss I'm my, Pedro. I do too. Pedro, the man who married up. I like to call he him. Did, he did marry up. Oh, my goodness. So, Pedro had a... What did he... You know, what was it? Crap. There was something he did just the other day that just tickled my fancy, but now I can't remember. Apparently not, not enough not, to remember Not enough, enough to remember. I mean, he's a very forgettable character. <clears throat> anyway. By the way, have you listened to his... that The uh, Slave's Wage album that we promoted on the show? Yes. Yeah, I've been listening back. to it a bunch lately. I absolutely love it. Pedro, nice job. All right, sorry. He's very talented. Back to whatever it is um, you were talking about, the being good thing before I got yeah, a being sidetrack. Good. Well, so it's interesting because the two of these two pastors going back and forth on this and, um, you know, like like not Kyle, <laughs> Shane Eidelman Try. said, yeah. you know, how do you gauge good? You gauge good by morality. If there's a good, there's an evil. If you, you have to have God in the equation to properly define good, which I think is an interesting and accurate way of summarizing what we were just talking about. Yeah. Um, but then Stan Mitchell says, you know, Biblically, people are created in the image of God, and whatever your theology is concerning the fall or depravity, I think they're, they those are only layers on an inherent goodness. So he sees an inherent goodness in people. Wait, wait. Um, so wait. So we we are born with sin, but also an inherent goodness. 
Sin is only a part, he would say, because here's the rest of the quote. He said, uh, for, from a more progressive Christian position, I believe in inherent union with God. He said, I don't think people are ever good without God because people are always with God, created in God's image. So even people who don't believe are good because they're with God, even if they don't acknowledge it, is what he says. I mean, he didn't really. Well, he was asked by um, you know, he was asked by the reporter Lauren Green over and over again, "Do you believe that there are standards?" And he said he does believe God has standards. You know, I was a little bit confused. You know, so what are those standards? And his church, I'm pretty sure, I think in 2015, Carrie Underwood used to go to that church. Um, he they embraced gay marriage. Um, right. They you know, so they've had some more progressive stands, and I think that sort of mitch, matches with what he's saying here in terms of his theology, but. I'm confused. Where do those standards end? Oh. Do we get to change them? Do we, I, you know, that's, I guess, my confusion. Right. right. The standards, the standards that someone like him would have had 50 years ago are different from the standards they would have today, which means that they weren't ever really standards. Or they, mean, were they, were, they, they, they were just human standards. They were, they were human standards. I shouldn't say they weren't standards. They were human standards. They weren't biblical. They were human standards. Now, I can't judge him because I don't know. I think oh, those can. details are correct. I no, think. I think. Think he was at? I think his church in 2015 embraced gay marriage. That's just one issue, of course. But but the reality is, I mean, he used the word progressive, and I think conservative theologians have a very different way of looking at the yes, Bible and the gospel and God uh, from the more liberal. Their more liberal counterparts. You know, and also I, conservatives are more predominant. You know, I remember a few years ago, there was a great writer at the Blaze who wrote a cover story for the Blaze magazine. It was in its infancy at the time. About the rise of the religious left, and it actually, if you read it now, it actually is kind of prophetic. So, I gotta find my copy of that. I'm sure I have several. I think I might have some too. I saved all of them of because you... I, God knows I made you do a ton of work on all of it. Um, I'd be willing to sign. Then... I'd be willing to sign them if you like. Oh yes, well, uh, but that piece. Yeah, I remember writing that piece, and it is interesting because I think here we are now, and we see a progressive religious left that's trying to rise up um but the reality is the mainline churches are dying yeah i mean they're dying the fastest out yeah. of any of the churches and i and i think there's probably a million reasons for that but i would venture to say that if 30 percent of your pastors as is the case in one denomination i won't mention are saying they're not sure that they believe that jesus is god's son or that he is who he said he was if you have that big of a problem going on in so your you're denomination. Not, wait, you're not going to say what denomination it was? For what reason? It's PCUSA. I, I was going to say, say, I, was gonna say um, I thought it was the, Poli the Presbyterians, but then you had me doubting it because you weren't going to say it. I'm like, was it? Well, because I'm always cautious because I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think it was around 30% right. yeah, in but I mean, 2011. Okay, so yeah, the, the numbers came out. So, all right, I'm not screwy then. Well, not regarding that. Yeah, well, <laughs> plenty of things you are. So anyway, Chris, right. you believe that you can be good without God, allegedly. No, no, no. Well, you, you can act. You can act good, right? God. I agree. No, I agree with you. And I understand. I think. I think I'm understanding what he says about an inherent goodness, in that God created us with the capacity to do good. I don't. Yeah. Know, oh no. Uh, yeah. There actually, is goodness. I mean, there's and, you know, there's goodness in the world. It all comes from God, but we're born with sin, so we can't. <clears throat> excuse me. We can't be good without God's influence in our lives. But we can act. This, we can act good. He said this thing about Genesis 3 not wiping out Genesis 1, and I thought it was interesting because every time I hear somebody on the progressive side talk about this, Tim Kaine talked about this at the HRC gala or event last year, you know, when he went there to speak. Whenever I hear anybody talk about that in the fall 
and going back to Genesis one and how God made us in his image and all of that. I feel like everyone forgets about Noah's Ark and <laughs> what yeah. happened, you know, yeah. I, it's just, it's interesting because I'm always like, well, but clearly humans went the wrong way. Right. And there's, and they're also, that good. right. And there's, and well, and they're also happy to point out that they'll, they'll use that example as long as it suits them, but otherwise they'll mock you for thinking that it's actually literally, you know, <laughs> Adam and Eve story. That now, I don't know. I would be interested to know what Shane, we should have him on the show, what Shane believes about, like, the Bible and, or not Shane. Um, the other guy. Brad or the other guy, yeah. 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 What he what he believes about how literal it should be taken, because actually Shane said this should be taken literally, you know, and he was talking yeah. about it, Genesis, and responding to that. This is literal. Um, anyway, what was, the, oh, we were going to talk about the Bible Museum. That was our. Oh, yeah, that was, and, and along, uh, uh, let me ask, I wanted to ask you before I, before I had, before, you know, quickly just flipped out of my mind last week there was a ruling that a 92 year old cross monument is that memorializing mm. world war one is suddenly unconstitutional did you write about that at all i mean did you cover that you know we that one we didn't um because there were a couple other ones right, around, your right around the same time yeah. um that was a big one though and i think it you had said this so I can't take credit for this, but you had said, you know, for, for 92 years, this wasn't a constitutional violation. <laughs> right. Suddenly it is. Suddenly it is. And I don't, I don't, and it wasn't Mikey. It was the freedom from religions from religion. It was the yeah. FFRF, your dear friends, at least yeah. one of them. Yeah. The other one is maybe <laughs> One doesn't like me. The other one does. Um, <laughs> well, I guess I, what's strange to me is that I think this obsession with we nobody wants a theocracy. I mean, that'll always be with the claim that the you know some people on the left have. Oh, they, they want a theocracy. Nobody wants that. Um, but at the same time, these groups do make good points sometimes. But I think when it comes to a war memorial and a symbol, well, and it's, on, and it's I, there there it's is insane. a secular aspect to a cross monument, right? I mean, that's that's one of the rules of the court Supreme Court set up. But also, it's not evangelizing, and it's not. I mean, I guess, I guess, you know, if, you know, I, I have family members, I wouldn't be offended by it, but I'm sure that I have family members or friends who would be offended if, if a monument was up and it had a big crescent or a big, just star of David, maybe not so much with the star of David, but a big crescent, they would have, they would have an issue. But again, this, but isn't, that's the this is a war this is a, this, of this right, country. That's the thing is it actually ties back into history. It's not some sort of new, let's right. evangelize for a specific reason or cause. It's a, like, this is, no, this has always been up here and. To create a new monument, I wouldn't be bothered with a new monument that has a cross on it or a Jewish star on it, or maybe even a you know a a, a crescent on it, if it has to do with a, you know with a current situation that we're trying to memorialize, right? Well, like nine eleven, like sure. the cross in the nine eleven museum yeah. that the, yeah. that the, another atheist group, it was American atheist. They they sued repeatedly over it and lost, saying that the inclusion of the steel beamed cross that was formed when the towers fell that that inclusion caused psychiatric you know problems for them Psych basically that it was so damaging this to them a, that this is a steel beam that existed when the drywall was up and now you're right. suddenly yeah. upset but when the cross you was can concealed you were fine right now you're not um I just you know look I I think this is a waste of time it's yeah. a waste of energy again I every once in a while these groups make decent points they make good points I think when it comes to the military you understand like it, you wouldn't yeah. want a military leader of another religion forcing you with their rank to you know in a weird way right. make you feel like you need to kind of agree with them or you're going to be punished i right. get that a cross on a war memorial on a monument to me is not exactly exactly that big of a deal right. i mean i just i don't i don't understand why we 
obsess over this, but I think it shows how far far we've fallen, you know, culturally that these are actually victories that are happening for some of these groups. Yep. Now, let's get to one more topic, the one you brought up, the, the Bible Museum. Before you turn into a pumpkin, let's let's cover this, and then then you can go night night. Yeah, it's time. It's I got to be up in like four hours. Um, all right. So, wait, so, so what's your schedule right now? Um, so it's a little nuts. I get up around four. 30 sometimes four but 4 30 i um work until about 6 30 as long as the kids stay asleep um my wife leaves before that she lives around 4 35 um and then i get the kids ready we get out the door around 6 50 um i drive my one daughter to school i drive my other kid to my in-laws by then it's like 8 30 because it takes forever to get around here um i drive back home about 9 9 30 on the stage coach to go to new york Sometimes. Yeah. You get on the train, sometimes hit the office around 1045. Jeez. It's a little nuts. Um, but having said that, the Bible Museum. That's what we were gonna we were gonna talk about the Bible Museum and how critics and and in the Washington Post and a number of outlets who have had a preview of the Bible Museum. Now remember, this is the Hobby Lobby family, the Green family, who um, you know, I know one of those family members decently um, well, and I know their passion for the Bible and that this is a huge project, this Bible Museum in D.C. that opens next month in just a few weeks. Uh, but the critique is that there isn't enough Jesus, that they that that you know, the exhibits don't focus heavily on Jesus and his life. And so uh, have you read about this much? I have. Now, so here's what I don't understand. I don't know. Like, I don't know how many exhibits there are in this museum. I don't know what percentage are, you know, focused on Jesus. Now, listen, he's the central character of the Bible. I mean, everything in the Old Testament points forward to him, and everything in the New Testament points back to him. But how many, I mean, you know, there's probably one exhibit for the for the flood, I would suppose, and an exhibit maybe for the creation story. And I, I, mean, I can think of several stories that maybe there are exhibits for. How many exhibits are critics expecting there to be about Jesus or is it just like mentions or what's the dealio? So, well, one of the things I'm trying to pull the quote up here because one of the, um, th- there seems to be this claim that there's a, a difference in, if you go back 10 years to when the green family was saying they were going to do this and you duck, juxtapose what Steve green, this the president of Hobby Lobby was saying back then versus what they're saying now that there are some big differences. Apparently, the original mission statement, according to the Washington Post, was to bring to life the living word of God, to inspire confidence in the absolute authority of the holy book. Okay, so that was 10 years ago. Um, Now, Steve Green has quoted as saying, quote, the museum has fence posts, limits. It doesn't overtly say the Bible is good, that the Bible is true. That's not its role. Its role is to present facts and let people make their own decisions. So what what caused that change? I honestly want to know my theory. Yeah. This is my theory. And having interviewed him and and seen the project, I haven't seen I'm gonna go November tenth and see it before it opens. So I'll have oh, a look sense at you. Once I see go it. see it early before it opens. Uh, <laughs> stupid. You could come too if you want. No, thank um, you. Actually you should come. Oh, That'd be I a good should, trip. Yeah. You should come to DC. I should. I'll bring my recorder and everything. You should. I can have a guest. So anyway. Um the bottom line is, I think what has happened here is that there's a real discussion. And I know this angers people, but proving the Bible by actually going into how the Bible was formed, that that is sometimes the best way to prove it, that you could be an atheist and you walk in and you see the years, you see the evidence, you see the manuscripts, you see the focus on how the book was put together. It becomes impossible to deny any of its contents, obviously to deny Jesus once you see that. And by focusing on facts, 
that is a much stronger way to make your point. That is my assumption that over time, bringing in experts, and they've consulted everyone on this, that the best way to do this was to do, take that approach rather than what Ken Ham is doing down in you know, his sure. you know, arc so exhibit. Which, so, so you're thinking that maybe this museum, and again, you haven't, we haven't seen it. You're thinking that this museum will be more about the creation of the Bible and how it was yes. written, how it came together, not a, not a museum about the various stories that are in the Bible. Yeah, I oh, think okay. that's my assumption based on everything that I've heard, and I could be totally wrong, is that this is about how the Bible was formed and that the year, the confidence that we can have in the Bible, like when he said, you know, he it, that there are limits here. It doesn't overtly say the Bible is good or the Bible is true, that that's not its role. I actually think people are seizing on that and saying this is horrible and wrong but that he might be able to accomplish his first goal from 10 years ago by actually focusing on how the Bible was formed because nobody understands that, right? right. That is the central part. Uh, I think for Christians, we understand it, but you know, how did each book come together? What were the conditions on the ground that were going on? That's the stuff I think we need more of. So I'm actually, if that is the approach, I'm okay with it. Yeah. Yeah. To, I'm fine with I, that. I am too, especially if, if, if that's the approach they take, then that, then that would make sense that there wouldn't be a whole ton of you know jesus whatever you know um displays or whatever else but i do think that i don't were the counting number of mention again were the counting number of mentions when it comes to jesus when they were talking about this you know there's only seven or eight something about jesus there's like an exhibit that talks about nazareth during jesus's life and you get a sense of but that again tells me they're focusing on the context and and i think we know about jesus like do we need a museum to hammer home right. all of those finer elements or do we need the proof like the logical the best way to prove anything yeah. is using logic yeah. emotion is great but the best way to really prove it is logic and yeah. if you can logically make the bible's history make sense you win the battle i think yeah. i agree well, interesting. with atheists especially. Could be, it could it could be great i will not be there with you by the way mostly because Why? They what do you have going on on november 10th <laughs> they would probably make me wear pants so there's that well, it said, no, it was like a casual something. It oh, was, it so wasn't... maybe no pants would be acceptable then. Well, I don't know about no pants, okay. but... Short pants? Maybe not even short, <laughs> short pants. You really are a dumb person, but I do like hosting this show with you. And I actually miss this. This has been nice. It's been very nice. It's like we need to hug or something, but I'd rather well, not. let's not get it. Let's not let's get not, I haven't seen you in person in like three years. Has it been that long? We had a Calzone last time I saw you. Was that the last time? Was My whole life was is it marked John, by food, was it John's, food labels. John's, John, John's Pizza, right? That was the last time we actually yeah. broke bread together. Are you kidding yeah, me? Yeah, but you love John's Pizza. Oh, Admit it. Fanta- you love- oh, yeah. I'd go back there in a heartbeat. I wish that my was my college spot. Office. That was my college spot. I'd go there all the time. Well, that explains. That's how I became a lard. <laughs> Speaking of lards, we still look you know, like whales that mistook Facebook for the ocean. Isn't that what you said about something the other day? <laughs> There was a picture of you on the football field. That's right. There's a picture of Chris. <laughs> There's a picture of Chris on a football field, and he's like jumping up. I wasn't jumping. I was pushing well, a lineman around. This is around. how I envision it. Of course, it is. Back. Flopping was, around like a whale. He was like twerking on the field a little bit, and and it was like I made up a headline, like a fake headline, and it was just like beached well. <laughs> mistakes football field for ocean. Yes, that was. And Chris thought it was funny. great. It was actually very um, funny. There you go. All right, so are we done? Are then? we done? I think we can be. So, ladies and gentlemen, this is what the show looks like behind the scenes. <laughs> Actually, we've done a very good job filtering ourselves because usually Billy is just riddled with ex- expletives and obscenities. Um, 
but so we're not we held our tongues this time around so we were pretty good so i guess so i guess this is how we wrap it up and i'll i'll end it with um i had a joke now i can't remember it so we'll just go ahead and we're gonna hit this here wonder if you're employed and then <laughs> it really is amazing that i have a job at all i can't believe my mom called you again twice well that i play well you said more than twice well there are some other personal voicemails she left for me that i won't get into (laughs) you You have issues (laughs) (laughs) your issues have been explained the church boys and that people is our stupid show that's the show that's are we doing shows regularly now you have to make a commitment on What's if that? you're alive, will we be doing? Will we be doing shows if you survive? Oh, I think, whatever I, that comp was. I think we. I think we should be doing more regular shows. Frankly, I agree. I agree. All right. Uh, all right. Well, this has been exhausting. All right, Cinderella, you gotta get to bed. Bye, princess. Bye. <laughs>